0: Hi, welcome to the pub. We're open. There's plenty of seats. Come on in. Do you ever wonder how you got to where you are now? Now, not necessarily where you're actually sitting at the moment, but where in your life you are now and how did you arrive at this place in your social and romantic life, your career, where you live, the whole thing. Recently, I've been curious about the decisions, the choices and actions that I've taken over the years and which ones were the key to how I got to where I am. I guess I'm thinking about this as I contemplate where I'm going and what will I be doing in the future. Of course, I think we all like to think that we are consciously and purposefully making these big decisions in our life and that we're pretty much in control of this process. But, you know, I'm not sure that's actually the case. You know, I wonder if there are differences between decisions and choices and how do these influence the actions that we eventually take. I've heard it said that a decision is defined as a conclusion or a resolution reached after consideration and choice is an act of selecting something when you're faced with two or more possibilities. So a simple example of this in my mind would be, okay, you're hungry and you make the decision that you're going to get something to eat. Now you need to make some subsequent decisions. Eat at home or eat at a restaurant? Well, you decide restaurant. Now you have some choices to make. Fast food or sit down, Chinese or Italian. Your decisions have led you to a series of choices, which will result in the action being taken of eating when you're hungry. Sure, this is a pretty simplistic example, and if you're looking for clarity or answers to the big questions in your life, like, how did I end up working in this field? How did I end up living on the West Coast or getting married with kids? You know, I don't think people set out to make a big decision in life. You just don't wake up on a Tuesday and decide, hey, I'm going to get married, so I need to find a number of suitable potential spouses and plan out a courtship that will narrow the field to one and end in marriage. No, that's not how it happens. These decisions sneak up on you, and they're the result of hundreds, maybe thousands of smaller decisions that you've made, mostly without conscious realization of their eventual outcome, or even the direction that they're taking you. So why is this important, and what possible reason do you have listening to me ramble on about this? I think it's because we all want to believe that we are in total control of our lives and that we are where we are because we decided to be there. And that we are doing what we are doing because we chose to do that. But on closer examination, it was a million little decisions and choices that led you to the point where you made or could make that bigger decision. And you feel like that was made consciously and decisively. We don't give much thought to those million little things that move us so slowly and in such small increments towards some larger eventuality. Right now, my wife's watching a TV show called A Million Little Things. This is about a group of close friends, one unexpectedly commits suicide, and they all struggle to cope with this. The title of this show is a reference to the saying by Arthur, uh, Becca Anderson, who said, friendship isn't a big thing, it's a million little things. And I think that like friendship, life is made up of just a million little things. A million little things that we pay very little attention to. And maybe that's a part of what's wrong with the world right now. We blow past all the little decisions and choices with no or very little consideration while we focus on and await for the time and place when we can make the big decision or make the big choice. We don't seem to realize that we're only in that position because of all those million little decisions we've made recently or in the past. And at the risk of overanalyzing everything I decide or choose, I think I'm going to pay a little more attention to some of these little decisions and think more about my choices, knowing that they are taking me on a journey somewhere, I don't know where, to sometime, I don't know when, at a point which I will make a much bigger decision. And at that point, I think I'll be a little more confident and assured that that I am where I am because of all those little choices. And the big decision may not be as scary or as difficult. And Jane Goodall, the famous primate researcher, has said, Cumulatively, small decisions, choices, and actions make a very big difference. And Emily Dickinson was heard to say, If you take care of the small things, the big things will take care of themselves. So, listen to Jane and Emily. I think they know what the fuck they're talking about. So, speaking of small decisions, I need to decide which single bottle I'm going to get to enjoy here. So, uh, don't go away. You'll know my choice in a minute. I am back from the bar, and I've made my decision. I'm going to have a single malt Scotch whiskey. So I had some choices to make, right? So I selected the Scapa. Uh, now the Scapa is a distillery that's on the island of Orkney, way up north, um, uh, north of Scotland. And it's true that the functional buildings there are from the late 50s. They're not very romantic. Um, they, they, they've been there for a while. They started in 1820. Um, but the distillery is not quite the northernmost distillery in Scotland, um, but only by a half a mile, so it's pretty far up there. Um, there's a breezy, breezy elusiveness to this kind of whiskey. It, it's, it's perfect um, for, for that northern environment of, of Scotland. Um, the, uh, the location is really awesome. Scapa Flow is a stretch of water uh, right there that linking the North Sea to the Atlantic, um, and it's famous for its roles in, in the World Wars. Uh, the water that comes to, to the distillery uh, for this is called uh, from a stream called the uh, Lingro Burn. It's really, really peaty. Um, so the distillery uses totally unpeated malt. Um, the, uh, it has a Loch a Lomond uh, wash still, uh, w- which might contribute to some of the kind of the oiliness of the whiskey. Uh, a Lomond still is is. Um, not to get too technical, it's a different type of still, <clears throat> not a pot still, not a column still, but kind of a, a hybrid between the two, kind of, the, um, um, a gets all ma- matured in, in, uh, old bourbon cases, um, casks, and, uh, it's really quite light in its flavor, um, kind of a distinctive, uh, um, kind of maybe a vanilla, chocolatey, nutty type of, of a, of a note to it. The, um, um. The um, uh, the twelve year old. What I have this is probably the most commonly found, and um, it's got a bright, little gold color to it. Um, the uh, um, when you, when you bring this up to your nose, um, kind of a soft, kind of warm hay, kind of, of a scent to it. Um, very light and smooth on the on the tongue. The um, and you do get that kind of a vanilla, nutty kind of sense to it, um, and maybe a little bit of salt because it's right there on the ocean, of course. Um, but it does have, have have a spicy kind of salt and pepper, salty, uh, sea salty kind of finish to it. Um, the uh, um, you know a really enjoyable uh, northern northern whiskey, and the um, you know not as easy to find. But if you like those those kind of out of the way you know uh, island type of whiskeys, um, look for a Scapa. So let me finish this one up, um, and I've got a neat uh, Uppity Woman story for you too. So sit tight. Often called Mother, Ursula Shipton operated during the reign of King Henry VIII. Born around 1488 in a small cave in Yorkshire, she became one of London's most colorful characters with a rep far and wide as a witch, prophetess, and a seer. You need to look into a, your future, into you love charm, a hate bracelet? Mother Shipton was your merchant of magic. Now, in Renaissance times, being identified as a witch was normally the best way to shorten your lifespan, but not so with Mother Shipton. She lived well into her 70s. A clairvoyant figure around whom popular legends swirled. And no wonder, even if her extrasensory powers were all showmanship, she was a pretty weird-looking individual. Uh, Ursula had an unusually long head, fiery eyes, and a crooked nose, covered with what were described by odd contemporaries, now including her husband, as multicolored phosphorescent warts. Yow! The, The female Nostradamus of her day... Ursula Shipton aroused great excitement with her predictions regarding the fate of famous men and the end of the world. Uh, In her view, 1999 looked pretty dreadful. Although she was probably illiterate, her fame endured for centuries and accounts, mostly bogus, of her utterances continued to be published until the 19th century. Wow, Miss Shipton, you have set uh, a new standard for uppity women for the 15th century. Uh, Way to go. Well, hey, folks, that's all we've got time for here in the in the pub today. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, I hope life's treating you well now. Shlancha.